Hello, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us. You just need to click on the link and become an ACAST supporter. It's a one-off donation. You can give as much or as little as you like, and uh, there's no commitment. But it certainly helps us to keep producing these podcasts. So thank you very much. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ideas in writing. Hello and welcome once again to Ideas in Writing. It's that kind of podcast with me, Philip Holden, and it's all about uh, words and writing. Words you might read here. Uh, or see in books and this time particularly words that you might hear in songs. Uh, it's supported by Mr Books Bookshop in Tunbridge and uh, we've uh, uploaded some uh, conversations we've had so far at events and uh, the other week I was chatting with Ian Tucker-Bell um, but uh, these conversations are one-to-one -one with some interesting people um, and I'm recording this from my home studio using a bit of uh, software called Zencaster. Uh, Mr. Books is an independent bookshop in Tunbridge. Uh, we call it the home of inspiring, imaginative and intelligent books, gifts and conversation. And you can find that at mrbooks.co.uk. K? K? G? K? Um, yeah, you know what I mean. And you can order all kinds of books, new and secondhand. Uh, or you can visit them, uh, at least when they're open, and that should be fairly soon, I hope. Um, Ideas in Writing is available on Anchor FM, but it's also available on other platforms, including Spotify, so have a look on your favourite podcast platform. Uh, so in these interviews, uh, I asked my guest to come along with a word that means something to them. Uh, it could be a memory or a kind of uh, a word they carry with them, that means something to them, and I offer a word in exchange. So um, it's an occasional series, um, and this one is with the fabulous Tom Carradine, who many of you will know as uh, a dapper chap around town. Uh, he lives in Tunbridge, uh, the same town as the bookshop, and he has a great line in vintage clothing uh, that he wears most of the time, and a magnificent moustache, but uh, possibly 
you'll know him from Caradine's Cockney sing-along, which you can find on Facebook every Thursday evening at 8pm British time. Um, in this episode, um, I talked to Tom about his career a bit, but uh, about his love of clever and emotional songwriting and, and the uh, collective memory we have uh, of songs that go back well over a century. Uh, both Tom and I came to London to go to university and ended up in university opera groups. In Tom's case, of course, he had musical talent on his side and ended up making a career of it. And we will chat a little bit about that. Uh, Tom brought along a word as requested. His word was quadlibet, which I'd never heard before. So I threw in a much simpler one, craft, which I think is entirely appropriate for the level of skill and passion Tom brings to his art. And I know this because he helped me out on a show that we reference um, briefly uh, called Three Men in a Boat uh, at the O's Theatre. So our conversation led us to thinking about some of the great lyricists and great piano entertainers, some beautiful and very clever songwriting from the likes of Victoria Wood, uh, Flanders and Swan, Irving Berlin and others. So here we are uh, with the episode called Quadlibet, Craft with Tom Carradine. Thanks, thanks for, uh, for joining me. How are you? Absolute pleasure. I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Good. Well, despite the heat today. I know, it's, um, it's really hot. sweltering. Uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a little sort of study and that's, uh, it starts off really cool at the beginning of the day and then the sun goes round and it sort of gradually <laughs> heats up and I'm now kind of sweating, thinking, why am I wearing clothes? And yeah, it's pretty <laughs> awful. Well, you're at home. You can get away with not wearing anything. I'm not wearing I... anything at the moment. Oh, so. dear. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I've given it yeah, away, haven't I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. So uh, the the uh, the premise uh, of this is that you bring along a word, and so do I. Um, and and you offered me the word in advance, which is very nice of you because it, it gave me <laughs> gave me the chance to look a chance to find out what it was. <laughs> yeah, tell me tell me what the word is. Uh, quodlibet. Quodlibet. Q U O D L I B E T. Yeah, I, yeah. Though I tend, I tend to use it um, in the term simultaneous quodlibet. Oh, right. Which is rather <laughs> than just it on its own. But um, yeah, it came across this through um, a good friend of mine, Patricia Hammond, mm-hmm. who is a wonderful vintage singer, and uh, she um, specialises in kind of music from the from the the kind of turn of the century. I suppose she, she did a great album a couple of years ago of World War One songs. Okay. Um, and I've worked worked with her on quite a lot of quite a lot of projects. Um, and she was the one who introduced me to this word in that I'd been doing it for years. Right. <laughs> Sounds really dodgy. I'd been using it for years and um, without knowing it. Okay. Um, in that a quodlibet is uh, two songs or two kind of musical compositions that fit over the top of each other. So like a counterpoint. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or a kind of, you might you might call it a canon, I suppose. Um, so, so but yeah, two, mean... two kind of tunes. Does that mean they have to have been written as separate songs and then put together? Not, nece- not necessarily, no. No. I mean, there are some fantastic um, moments of, 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 and songs that do fit together perfectly like that. And yeah. the reason why I came to find out, because I've been doing it for years, um, in my kind of sing-along work that I do, yeah. playing old-time, old-time songs and encouraging people to sing along, yeah. for, I, for years I'd known that you can sing, pack up your troubles in your old kit bag, 
and it's a long way to Tipperary yes. over the top of each I'm other. And they fit. Yes, I'm absolutely sure we did that as scouts. I think absolutely yeah yes. there we go yeah. well that, that's that's where i remember it yeah. from um and so when i started doing some gigs with patricia yeah. and we and she was like oh well we'll do it's a long way to tipperary and we'll, or no we'll do pack up your troubles and we'll do all the verses and then, then at the end we'll do the simultaneous quote libet and i was like to sorry you. back up so, so just just rewind a second we'll do what yeah. she was like oh no we'll do the simultaneous quote libet at the end you i'll take um uh pack up your troubles and you take it's a long way to tipperary i was like oh okay that but what and she explains simultaneous quote about that's the that's the the technical term for two songs which fit over the same chord sequence something that i'd was just inherent in me i suppose i'd kind of known yeah um and yeah. again there's lots of there's lots of other examples of that um things like i've been doing as a as a vocal warm-up for years things like i believe the children are our future we'll teach them well and let them lead the way and over the top of you can sing i believe i can fly <laughs> I believe I can touch the sky. The chords are the same, okay. and uh, yeah, they fit beautifully, and it works beautifully as a kind of a kind of counterpoint, um, and just two medleys molding together. And then there's other examples of where where people have particularly written songs, written material to fit a quote debate. So yes. some great examples of things like um, uh, oh, the wonderful Gilbert and Sullivan, um, great operetta writers from the Victorian era, yes. um, like their ends of Act Ones where they've got everybody singing different parts that all fit the same that fit the same company, but they might quote songs that came earlier on in the show. Also a bit like, I suppose, um, Les Miserables as well. Yes. At one yes. finale, one day more, when everybody's singing these songs that fit over the top of each other That's in this very right. clever way. Yes. Anybody think they might have thought about when they were putting these songs together originally in the show, that they might just all pull together in one end of that one number. Do you think they wrote so, them like um, that? I suppose they must have done. They must have. I mean, well, there's it's... lots... Um, I know Lame is Inside Out. I've um, had the great pleasure of, of being a deputy keyboard player on it up in up in the West End yeah. over a good kind of five or six years. So I've played it far too many times. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting that there's lots of the musical kind of, um, you'd call them light motifs, I suppose, in, in opera. Yeah. Um, but there's kind of musical motifs that come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the kind of descending bass line, if you can hear that, yes. for I Dreamed a Dream, yes. which appears all over the place and appears in One Day More as well. Yes, yeah. So it's because it's kind of rooted on that, then then you can kind of, yeah, it, it, it's very cleverly done. I, I really um, admire composers who can do but that. Does, and another one of my does, favourites is... Um, um, I've, no, no, I was going to say, it, it, it does uh, do something for the audience. You know, there's a sort of um, uh, dramatic irony effect, isn't there? Because the, the audience kind of know what's coming. At, there is and indeed. there's a sort of familiarity to it, but... It adds layers of, uh, of sort of um, meaning or complexity to it. It does. It's very, it's very, very clever. And that, yeah, you're right. It, there's a there's a payoff to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and and almost and almost, it's like uh, it's bigger than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Because because you because you follow the story and even little 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 bits of these motifs that come back and keep recurring mm-hmm. that that are kind of like way markers that you might not necessarily notice. But your brain is just kind of um, subliminally appreciating, so that when they kind of pay off at the end of Act One, I mean, it's an amazing, it's an amazing moment. And yeah, had the great pleasure of playing it, as I said, far too many times. But there's still a, there's a still a kind of hairs on the back of the moment me- moment yeah. when everything comes together and you've got kind of eight different parts of yeah. of yeah. music which which all 
just fit beautifully and, and rise to a to a rousing end of Act One, yeah. then it's time to go go and grab a drink or go to the toilet. Yes, I think uh, that it's a bit like Pavlov's dog. I can't hear one day more without thinking, "Oh, I really need the loo." <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I, so it's, you, you mentioned Gilbert and Sullivan there. Just thinking, yes. um, end of uh, Ireland'sy, isn't it? Isn't, oh, yeah, isn't that the Ireland'sy at one finale? The yeah. best, the best. Um, for me, it's the it's the the double chorus. Yeah. When the um, go away, madam. I should say, madam, you bearded by this puny mortal. Yes. Oh, it's just oh, it's stirring it's stuff. Great. It it's, really it's, is. It's great music. Yeah, and actually, I think uh, in kind of thinking about the similarities between the musical writing and the lyric writing, mm. there's those moments. There's moments in musical theatre or operetta where there's a real kind of um, is synergy the word? Could be. There's a real kind of a real kind of matching of an equality between the the music and the lyrics, and they the, just come together and become something. As I said, that kind of more bigger than the sum of the parts. Yeah. That everything kind of feeds into that moment. And and that's one of them. Um, one of my favourites. Ireland actually one of yeah, one of my favourite Gilbert Sullivan operettas. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. The the, the um, overture is is magnificent to start with, I think. It is too. And actually, I think um my wife will correct me, she's the big GNS buff, but we met doing Gilbert and Sullivan together actually. Yeah. Um but I think Ayalanthi was one of the few overtures that Sullivan actually wrote himself. I think that's right, yes. Yeah. Because all the majority of the others were, were kind of um shipped out to arrangers mm. and musical the musical directors on the show. And because yeah. everything especially for, for when they were writing them originally, they were thrown together in so quickly. Um, I think there's a story or something that, that he was writing the overture to HMS Pinafore while on the boat going out to the States for the first performance for the first performance. Okay, of it. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. so there's those kind of um, things that got, kind of get thrown thrown together and, and put together. But yeah, no, the Ireland overture is beautiful. It is, um, yeah. or kind of eight or nine minutes worth of. of... But again, that that's, it, that's another thing with overtures in musical theatre where they're written to give you a kind of preview of the songs in the show so that when you come to hear them in the show, you're already comfortable with yes, them. Oh, we've heard this true, nice yes. jolly tune before. Or, um, or if it, I just, I don't know, it, again, it's this kind of subliminal thing with, um, with musical theatre writing, especially where, and I suppose it's just a given kind of trope or a given kind of um, uh, method of working. But yeah, that th- th- those tunes in the overture, um, give you a kind of an awareness of them so that when they come in the show, they don't kind of shock you. They're like, oh, no. actually, I kind of recognise this tune. I suppose um, in a way it's, yeah, it's sort of giving you the, the vocabulary of the of the rest of the show, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, we're going to use these, these these terms, we're going to use this this kind of uh, emotion or sentiment. or So when it comes, as you say, it's it's uh, you know it straight away yeah and, and you're right about setting the tone i mean it, it's, it's the same if you if you like classic opening paragraphs or chapters of books yes you 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 know as soon as you've read the first couple of sentences it kind of sets stall for for what you're what, what you're in for in reading the rest mm. of it um and say the same way with an overture or, or the way uh, the start of a show is is created or produced i mean i remember vividly watching going to see a lot of people hated it but it was a, a martin guerre oh, which yes. was the yeah. The kind of was it the third or fourth Alan Burbillum Claude Michel Schoenberg mm. musical. So they'd written Les Mis, which was a big hit. Yeah. They'd written Miss Saigon. So it would have been, I think it was the third one. Yeah. So and they thought they thought they would thought thought it was going to be a real kind of huge hit. And there was a, there was lots of talk about it. it. Would have been kind of around about the the late nineteen nineties before I moved to London. Mm-hmm. I remember coming down and seeing it, 
And it was kind of the first show I think I'd ever seen live that didn't start with a big, glitzy, glamorous overture, something kind of like big and Broadway. It yeah. started off, the lights went down and there was a solo flute in the pit. Da, da, da. Ja, ja, ja. It was, and it was just like, whoa, okay, this is different. Yeah. Um, and then the strings come in and the whole opening, this kind of, they didn't call it an overture. They called, they called it a prologue. There was, there was, there was, um, there was stuff going on on stage as you introduce the, the villages in the, in this French village. Um, but the strings came in and the, the kind of the way that it set the tone for the evening, the, 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 the woodiness of the strings gave a real kind of, uh, a grounding to it yeah. as a as an, an a kind of an earthy piece i suppose yeah. and the woodwinds as well it gave it it put it specifically in that moment in that period in that location um which was masterful in the same way as i was saying in a, in a book you read the you read the opening couple of paragraphs and you're there you know where you are what yeah. the um, um it kind of sets out the stall for the for the rest of the experience i suppose yeah well um it won't surprise well it might surprise you to know that the word i chose to bring along was craft <laughs> um and well i have to be careful how i say it because i would say craft uh normally. <laughs> of course um, me too, me too, well i, I was going to ask you you know you, you mentioned about coming down to london um uh so where where did you come from born and raised in coventry mm -hmm. in the midlands which is very odd because I'm not I'm not northern enough to be a northerner no. and I'm not southern enough to be a southerner. So I would say I'm a midlander, yeah. but to a lot of people that's not that's not anything. It's um like when I came down to London, everyone was oh you're a northerner. And I was like no, I'm a midlander. I I have a I mean the closest I come to a kind of um uh, uh, local accent or dialect I suppose. My 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 father is um, is a Brummy from the Black Country. Is is, a, is from the Black Country. Yeah. And um, not a Brummy. You, yeah. That would be no. offensive to him. Right. But then so um so he's got uh, it, it's it's mellowed over the years, but when he gets on full on Brummy, it's lovely or talking to market come to Birmingham. Well that kind of thing. It's I love it. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful um sound. Um, and the the Coventrian accent mm. is kind of Edging on that, it's very lazy, I suppose. Um, but yeah, when I came to London, um, everyone just took the mick out of me, thinking I was a northerner, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm a midlander. No, you're definitely um, not. A and, uh, no. and now, when I go back to Coventry, oh, you're very posh yes, now. Yeah. You, you speak posh and proper. Um, I don't know. I think uh, a very generic. I don't know where my where my accent kind of lies. And equally, depending on who I'm with, I'm quite. Uh, my my accent changes, so I'm, yeah. I'm quite. I quite easily emulate other people or people's lilt of their accents. Mm. So, or, when, when, so you, when you came down to, you came down to go to Imperial College, that's right. I did. Yes. Yeah. For obviously for, um, <laughs> to study bio a biochemistry degree yeah, yeah, as everybody does, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Especially, especially when they want to be an, to be an actor, mm -hmm. which, which I wanted to be until I then realized while I was at college, I couldn't act. Um, and I'm glad I did because there are lots of there are lots of actors out there who haven't realised that yet. <laughs> sure I've worked with, like... I've worked with you oh, right, them. okay. Uh... But no, um, I came down to London. Uh, I, I'd always enjoyed music um, and performing mm -hmm. arts, and I always thought it was something I wanted to pursue. Um, but no, I believe the I believe careers advice and people telling me to go and get a proper oh, job, yes. get a proper degree, um, and then you can enjoy. And actually, one of the reasons why I came to London was a because I was a big musical theatre fan and I wanted to uh, enjoy all that London had to offer in that respect. But also the fact that um, 
I um, the, the the musical theatre society and the operatic society at Imperial were well re- well respected. Yes, and of, of the other universities that I looked at, they, Imperial was the one to come to for, for that. So um, yeah, came to came to London in two thousand. Yes, or moved to London in two thousand, and uh, was there for ooh, seven or eight years. Um, so through university and uh, um, finding a partner, my wife Faye, we got married, and then we we moved out uh, back to Kent, yeah. back to Tunbridge. Yeah. So uh, the the music, where, where does your music come from? Is it a musical family? Not really. Um, my mum played a bit of piano um, and my dad sang a lot. We, my dad and I did uh, amateur shows together um, with the Coventry Scout Gang show. So kind oh, of yes. scout shows um, when I was a kid. And dad started it first and then I, I joined the cub section, um, which was great. And I suppose actually in my kind of grounding of of music for what for the career that i have at the moment or i suppose did until covid came along um <laughs> is um is um was were, were all of those old time songs uh, musical songs and wartime songs and as we were saying earlier on those kind of scout camping kind of singing yeah. around the campfire songs um which have always kind of fascinated me and um so yeah, that was my kind of grounding, really. And singing with—I um, uh, was a church goer as a kid. I sang with a, a church kind of singing group, and we sang a lot yeah. of musical theatre and and sacred songs as well. Yeah. So um, I mean, I'm assuming that you had piano lessons. I did, but I didn't really enjoy them. I started piano lessons when I was about six, and I hated it. When I really, did you finish? I wasn't. I wasn't lessons? kind of forced. I finished my piano lessons when I was about fifteen. Yeah. Because I was just sick and tired of classical repertoire. Oh, okay. Um, so you, you and, obviously got quite a long way with them because i gave up when i was 11 um and i don't know i kind of i kind of uh, i just wasn't interested i got to grade five of of, of on abrsm yeah. grades um and i just didn't, didn't enjoy the classical repertoire i was always intrigued by playing jazz um, i kind of got into jazz as a teenager and listening it was ragtime especially yeah. um and uh yeah i just didn't enjoy the classical repertoire i um ended up doing a lot of basically avoiding playing all the classical repertoire by doing all the fun pieces. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think I gave up when I was, when I was uh, 15 or 16 and went into A-levels of it was kind of formal piano lessons. Yeah. Um, and then, but I, I, even before then I'd been going to Coventry City Library every Saturday and digging off the, the shelves, all the, all the old musical kind of vocal selections and vocal scores. Yeah. And I'd take those and I'd get, I'd borrow the CDs or the tapes and I'd take them home and I'd sit and I'd, pour over the scores while listening to the albums yeah um and that was that was my real kind of grounding in musical theater especially um and yeah i mean i i, I love listening to musical theater albums as a kid and that was just the kind of the next step i suppose yeah. trying to emulate that playing those songs on the piano which again skills that taught me through learning how to read um well read sheet music and to read lead sheets as well which is just when you get a vocal line okay um, and chord chord symbols which look easy to guitar players because that's the way they learn but to a pianist to a classical pianist to read chord symbols can often be quite um, initially quite daunting but now i kind of learnt my way through those and self-taught i suppose yeah um because i just i emulated what i was hearing on recordings and through that gave myself a great kind of grounding in um, in kind of jazz piano and bus- busking, you'd call it busking, I suppose, yeah. improvising and um, 
just kind of um, playing by ear as well, picking out songs that I'd, I'd enjoyed and listened to on the radio or listened to on albums and picking it out and working out how to play it. If, if, for example, when new musicals came out in London, if I couldn't get the sheet music for them, because often it wasn't released at the time, um, yeah, I'd, I'd sit down and I'd work out the work out the latest tunes and things, which I suppose, looking back now, was a great grounding for what I do now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, for for people who don't know uh, what what you're doing right now, I mean, uh, every every week on uh, Facebook. Uh, how would you describe it? I'm, I'm, I've taken I've taken my live act onto onto a live stream, basically. So for the last six years, I suppose I've been making the majority of my living as a full time musician from yeah. um, playing sing along piano. Mm. So old fashioned kind of pub piano. I have uh, the great um, joy to have in the back of my van. I've got an upright piano, um, Kimberly. She replaced my previous um, piano, Evie, who is currently in our back garden, who needs to be taken apart and disposed oh, of. Um, I do get through pianos. Um, but uh, yeah, I have a real upright piano that is um, bolted to heavy duty wheels. Um, and before lockdown, I'd, I'd be playing pub gigs or um, playing kind of vintage events and um, WIs and kind of golf club events and things like that, singing all the old fashioned songs, be that yeah. Victorian musical songs or wartime songs, or even those novelty songs from the 1950s and 60s, things like You're a Pink Toothbrush, I'm a Blue Toothbrush, or yes. Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavour on the Bedpost Overnight? <laughs> so, all these songs that have a kind of collective nostalgia, I suppose, um, and are rooted in that kind of London, especially that London pub sing along tradition, and mm-hmm. um, very much in the style, piano style of someone like Mrs. Mills. Yeah, and um, those kind of um, um, party albums from the sixties and seventies, or yeah. also um, Max Bygraves, one of my great musical um, idols, Max Bygraves, and those kind of sing along albums that he produced yeah. back in the seventies too. So yeah, I, I make a living from from pushing that around and playing pub gigs, and and I, I before before COVID, I had a Thursday night residency at Mister Fogg's Tavern in Covent Garden, a kind of Victoriana themed pub yeah. where I would rock up every Thursday night. And with my piano and for two hours would just yeah get everybody in the pub singing um that could be the old songs that could be a mary poppins medley yeah. or an abba medley or a beatles medley anything um, I, I i thought about this long and hard when i started playing there about four or five years ago about what is the essence of a pub sing-along and i realized that i mean because I could do a perfectly Victorian pub sing-along. But the problem is that no one would know all of the songs. They might know a few of them, things like Daisy Daisy yeah. or I'm Forever Blowing yeah. Bubbles or maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. Um, but actually to get, an, to get an audience having the experience of an old-fashioned um, kind of music hall evening or, or a Victorian kind of pub sing-along is actually singing, is singing songs that they know and that they can all raise their voices with, which means doing a Beatles medley or singing yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. It's bizarre. Talking about writing, um, one of the most complicated songs to sing, one of the most complicated songs to play. The lyrics are crazy. I mean, if you dissect them, they are just nonsense. Yes, yes. But everybody knows it is it. strange isn't it it's a, it's a, i mean coming back to this idea of the craft is is all these songs kind of there's a there's a sort of natural selection that uh process that means we know them or we remember them or we we want to sing along with them and indeed i think um and there are millions yeah, of songs there's, 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 that we don't a... want to sing along with and, <laughs> 
Well, certainly, certainly with the music hall repertoire. Um, I mean, in the in my in my years of experience with with kind of performing music hall and working on the music hall circuit over the last kind of again six years or so, yeah. I suppose I've uh, there's there's probably in the grand scheme of things there's probably about fifty music hall songs that people within the music hall community really kind of know. Mm. Um, in the wider community, I suppose there's probably only maybe to, to walk someone walking down the street there might be. If 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 they if they they might have an awareness of musical, they might know ten of those, or at least the choruses anyway. Yeah. But actually, I mean, of, of actual musical songs that people know in common kind of parlance, I suppose. Um, I'd say Daisy Daisy, everybody knows Daisy yeah. Daisy. Give me your answer, do. Um, maybe I'm forever blowing bubbles. Yeah. And perhaps um, my old man said, "Follow the van." Yeah. The chorus yeah, of that. Yeah. But but then we kind of get on to dodgy territory as it kind of yeah disappears and and but then again of those musical songs they they relied because it because they were written in a in a time before the wireless before tv before kind of mass communication those songs relied on the songs being memorable and the audience singing along to the choruses that was mm. what they were all about yeah. kind of chorus sing along um and because after you'd go and see the show, you might have seen Mari Lloyd at the Hackney Empire playing to two and a half thousand people. Mm. And she would sing Don't Dilly Dally on the Way. And you walk out and you've been singing along to that chorus. My old man yeah. said, Fun. OK. And then you 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 or one of your family, you go to the um, the sheet music shop. You go to a music shop and you buy that yes. sheet music. Um, so you needed to remember the song or at least the name of the song or the performer to, to, to ask for yeah. it. And then, of course, you'd bring it home and every house had a piano. Um, a, a parlor piano and at least someone in the family auntie doris or sort of someone uncle, uncle Dave, would play would play the piano and could bash out no matter in what, in what kind of quality yeah. i suppose could bash out those tunes and that's the way they got passed yeah, of on course. and that's and it was, uh, that's it's, that's about participation isn't it so the sort of association ooh. with those songs was about joining in and sharing them rather than sort of listening passively absolutely that was that was the whole crux of it and also i suppose for the for the for the real kind of wealth of music hall material anyway because it was a working class tradition Mm. it was the 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 work the predominantly working class audiences were seeing on stage um reflections of themselves so someone like mari lloyd the great queen of the music halls and playing playing a kind of uh uh, quite a quite a feisty, uh, I suppose, um, a Victorian or Edwardian woman um, who she was exactly. There were there were many of her in the audience, as it were, um, and in the same way, the wonderful Costa comics. So the Costa monger, the street seller kind of comics. Mm. There was a great um, swathe of them. People like Harry Champion and Gus Elan um, and Albert Chevalier as well, who sang all these songs. Things like um, "If It Wasn't for the Houses in Between" yes. or "I'm Henry <laughs> the Eighth, I Am." Um, all those kind of songs that portrayed these working class gentlemen. Mm. Um, and again, that was just reflecting the people that were in the audience, and they really felt a connection with the material. I mean, we, do, we don't talk about the fact that Albert Chevalier was actually a middle class guy from South Kensington, no. but um, but he, <laughs> whereas Harry Champion was very much working class, and Gus Elan too. Right. Um, but uh, yes, Albert Chevalier put on this character of a of a um, working class customer really? and, uh, and made great su- made great success um, with things like. Um, on my old Dutch, we've been together now for forty wow, years. Yeah. Some some great lyrics, some great songs um, that have have really kind of survived the test of time, I suppose. Yeah, and that's what I'm curious about, really. I mean, uh, I felt 
like I knew lots of songs. I mean, or at least songs were kind of, I knew that they existed and I knew maybe a, a, a bit of the melody. And when, when yep. you and I did, um, uh, what was it called? Oh, Three Men in a Boat. That's right. <laughs> Three Men in a yeah, Boat. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those songs were in there. Um, and uh, and that turned out I didn't know them really. <laughs> so it's a good job you were there. Um, well, it's funny. It's funny how, again, the way that songs get passed down. I'm really fascinated with, um, again, if we're talking about kind of spoken word, mm. I suppose the oral tradition of these songs. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by, um, I, I, I kind of liken it a bit to um, uh, Cecil Sharp, who was yeah. the kind of folk music um, uh, historian mm. um, back in the in the teens and twenties, and his trips that he did um, over to the Appalachians um, in the states in the mountain range, where he was he was um, noting down and and cataloging songs and how they've been passed on, yes. and a lot of those, of course, were were Victorian songs that got that got taken across, or even earlier, even earlier kind of broadside ballads or folk songs that got taken across with with early settlers and then uh, more immigrants that move over to the states. But equally, the fact that you could on one side of a mountain you could be singing one version of a song. But then on the other side of the mountain, they would be singing the same song, maybe this, perhaps the same tune or a slightly different tune, but slightly different lyrics. And it makes you yeah. wonder about how that got passed on, whether that was in some drunken night, someone had sung it, someone had listened to it, but they, in a kind of Chinese whispers way, had picked up the wrong words, or that those words were changed for a specific reason. Yeah, I mean, certainly yeah. in, in, um, in London... There's a great song uh, called Barrow Boy, which goes, um, it's an old, it's an old um, traditional kind of costermonger song. All my life I wanted to be a barrow boy, a barrow boy I've always wanted to be. And there are about, I've got about six or seven different versions of that, different tweaks to the lyrics. Things like, um, I'm a coster, a coster from over the Lambeth side. Mm -hmm. If you lived on the, the south side of the river, the Lambeth side, that's where a lot of the costermongers came from. Okay. Um, and pushed their barrows across the river um, into the city to trade. So you get um, across um, over the Lambeth side or over the other side. Um, I've got my papers. I carry them with pride um, or I, I hold me title. I carry it with pride. So, I mean, it might only be a four or five lyrics in the version of the song, but they are changing. They are yeah. different. Um, same with some people know. Always, I love it when people say, um, oh, can you say my old man said follow the band? Oh, oh really? Like, yeah, I'm like, no, the song's My Old Man Said Follow the Van. And they sing it, and they, but they said, but no, oh no, my nan used to sing it, My Old Man Said Follow the Band. Yeah. So, so for them, that's the, that's the version of the yeah, song that they know. Um, and equally, then we get into the, the, the lovely song that I love kind of playing with, um, is the kind of rude and risque versions as well. <laughs> the kind of, the, the parody lyrics. Yeah. I mean, especially um, you. You only have to look at some of the World War One songs, of course, um, and the way that the um, the boys fighting out in the trenches came up with their own parody versions of them. Yes. Um, and again, in in that kind of, I suppose because I've never, I've never been a writer myself. I've never because I always find if I ever write anything, be it written kind of lyrics wise i suppose or music i always find i'm kind of parodying things it always sounds like yeah, something but i don't else. think that's a problem I, tom i don't so i'm gonna test <laughs> well, you here. i'm gonna test you here do you know I, do I, you know dashing away with a smoothing iron i do Twas on the monday morning when i beheld my darling she looked so neat and charming in every high degree she looked so neat and nimble oh a washing of the linen oh dashing away with the smoothing iron dashing away with the smoothing iron she stole my heart away perfect that yes. one <laughs> so um uh, and so you know flanders and swan 
I and do. The gas man came up. <laughs> of course. It was on a Monday morning that the gas man came to call. Very well spotted. Yeah. The gas man wouldn't turn. I wasn't getting. There we go. I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and but that's the thing. Par- parody has always been kind of looked down upon. I suppose. Yeah. But it's a, but it's a it's a common theme across across certainly across music and lyrics. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And but I think it's. Uh... It's it sort of has to be, doesn't it? It has to be part of the sort of evolution of of music that you you take a form or a kind of melody or even just a phrase like that that people are familiar with, and you yeah. do something different with it. I suppose so. And actually, I mean, it goes back to things like hymn tunes, I suppose, yeah. or um, even even things like, as I said, the broadside ballads, kind of English folk poems mm. that were written that that's, that that fitted a standard meter so that actually you could sing it to any number of tunes because they all fitted the same yes. thing or the same with hymn tunes they have a they have a a, a scansion to yes. them is that, is that a word well, am i making yeah, that scansion, up but meter but yeah. they, have, they have they have they have a meter to yeah. them and um, which if as long as you find a tune that matches the same meter you can you can sing it to, the, to a different yeah. tune yeah. so um i suppose yeah and again maybe it's just the fact that kind of parody has always been kind of looked down upon as a musical form um that but actually a lot of the uh, the so much creativity comes from from parody yeah, and yeah. and also and also when you when you've got a great parody where it is so the lyrics are so close to the original <laughs> yes. but but I, I i'm trying to think of examples now and I, I can't think of any but great comedy great comedy writers people like i mean my kind of um bread and butter of of comedy at the piano especially mm. uh, people like flans and swan people like uh, victoria wood uh tom Lehrer, yeah. um uh, all of those great comedians at the keyboard that well again victoria wood's a great one that she could she could play something in a oh she did a great version of um oh dear what can the matter be oh really um eight o'clock at night on a Saturday, Tracy Clegg and Nicola Battersby leading their way into town. <laughs> and it's, it's a kind of, it's a kind of um, wonderful story about these two girls out, out, out on the tiles and how they end up, yeah, kind of falling in, falling in, into bushes. And, yeah. and uh, it's, um, it's a, but, but it, again, it's, it's a parody. It's a, because you hear that kind of children's kind of um, folk songy kind of thing. Oh dear, what can the matter be? Your brain's going, okay, well it's this kind of thing. But then she kind of, just turns it on its head. It's it's wonderful, it, a glorious yeah, and it's, and it's certainly, glorious creation. It's certainly better than just uh, just a parody. If you see what I mean? She, she, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think you know what you were saying earlier again about the the, the craft of of words uh, and music going together and make, making something that's greater than the the individual parts. I think Victoria yep. Wood is a perfect example of that. I think sometimes oh, um, I, uh, you, I, I mention uh, Flanders and Swan, of course, with the first and second law of thermodynamics, which you'd be familiar with. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, or have some Madeira. You know that one? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which... Uh, not, not to play it. Have some Madeira. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a musical song, basically. It's, it's, a, it's a musical waltz, or same as a swathe of songs from the 18... 80s and 1890s they've kind of after the ball is over yes. all of those kind of things so you, you're exactly in that they're, they're but very, lyrically they're very clever uh, the, you know i was absolutely I was looking at, uh, i've been playing the uh, the flanders and swan um, albums recently and um they're, they're still they're, i mean there are obviously elements that are dated but they're still funny and they're still very clever and engaging and 
um, and uh, I noticed that. Uh, oh, well, one of my favourite ones, and 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 uh, uh, um, oh, the, the one pom I was singing the yes. other day. Um, you could do lots of things with a wampum. You can use any part of it too. It's a triumph. It's a treasure. It's a oh, and there's nothing that a wampum cannot do. And I forget the lyrics. There we go. <laughs> but but oh yes. Oh um, and the hippopotamus song. And, now, and that's another one. Everybody knows the yes. mud, mud, glorious mud. Whether they've heard the verse yeah, before. Yeah. Um, that's another. That's another thing. But yeah, it's those kind of songs that. Yeah, Flans and Swan, absolute but, great, uh, great exponents of that. And and Celepsis, do you know what Celepsis is? Oh no, uh, sounds like sounds like something you need a cream yeah, for. Yes, or Z- Zugma or Zoigma. Oh no, yeah, go well, on. I'm not sure Educate I can explain me. exactly what it is, but I can give you the example from Have Some Madea of Madea. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, at the end of the verse, um, I, I'll read the verse. She was young, she was pure, she yeah. was new, she was nice, she was fair, she was sweet, 17. He was old, he was vile, he was no stranger to vice, he was base, he was bad, he was mean. He had slyly inveigled her up to his flat to view his collection of stamps, at which point Michael Flanders uh, intones um, all unperforated. And then, <laughs> and then the last two lines <laughs> of this uh, uh, zoigma or solepsis, and then he, uh, he said, as he hastened to put out the cat, the wine, his cigar and the lamps. <laughs> so it's that compression. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, they, and they repeat that. So that it didn't, it's not just a one off. So later on, he said, um, uh, oh, yes. Um, uh, she let go her glass with a shrill little cry. Crash, tinkle, it fell to the floor. When he asked what in heaven, she made no reply up her mind and a dash for the door. <laughs> It's the it's glorious, isn't it? And it's and again, it's it's very much of a of an age and of a time. Although, I mean, I'd I'd, I'd question to say that quite a lot of Flans and Swan stuff is timeless, I suppose. Mm. But um, but yeah, it's it's it places you exactly in that and that that their kind of turn of phrase yeah. is beautiful, yes. absolutely, yeah. absolutely beautiful. And and what I think it does it, comedically, it's it, it sort of tickles you and then doesn't let you go because there's another, yes. another, and well, another, and another. Another thing, another thing with Victoria Wood is the way that she would she would ride that ripple. Yes, you can. There's, there's. Oh, oh, I wish I'd got some examples now, but there's um, moments I can certainly remember. Well, like when I vividly went watching when I was I must have been about eleven or twelve, and I remember recording her live at the Royal Albert Hall off off TV, yes. and I wore the video out, yeah. replaying yeah. it and taking down the lyrics. Um, and then learning the songs, um, it, it made some very interesting conversations at the dinner, ta- dinner table oh. when uh, I had to ask my mom what menopause was. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's funny how, yeah, the, the, she would. There, there would be moments where she would. There'd be a, sh- a small gag or a small kind of, rip- and then it would it would build through yes. a line and actually, yeah, that you. you you're already laughing by the time you get to that final line. It's not just it's some some kind of some kind of jokey lyrics are all about the payoff at the end of the line. It's all about setup and a, and a yes, gag at yeah, the end yeah, of a yeah. line or, a, or or a funny rhyme that you're expecting, for example. Yeah. But there are there are there are moments in in Victoria Wood which just shows her, her craft, indeed, yeah. where where the, where the the just just the, yeah that kind of ripple of, of 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 and i suppose most of it comes from kind of association or realization again it's a bit like music hall the fact that people in the audience know exactly what what they're talking about mm. in the same way that v- victoria woods audiences yeah. when she talks about flip-flops yes. or 
um spam or tripe or um or having a an apron on to chop my veggies have tiny cactus on my window ledges have a roller blind with scalloped edges <laughs> i mean there's there's a laugh there's a laugh in every rhyme yeah, there yeah. um and you don't feel I want that to be mrs Pugh. you don't feel that the comedy is being compromised to fit the, the the lyrics of the music it's it's of a piece isn't it it's, it's beautifully put together it is indeed and and also knowing having having seen documentaries and things about the way she worked especially and even even the spoken word stuff her wonderful sketches mm. and skits um, the fact that she would sl- she would slave over those, um, and actually, uh, when you were talking to Ian on on the last podcast oh, yeah. about the way that, as a writer, when you write something and you you kind of insist that people uh, people say as it's been written, mm. because that's the way you wrote it. You 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 might have spent hours on getting that right, yeah, th- 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 that line right, and the balance of words right. Same with same with Victoria Wood. She was quite particular about the way that 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 people said her lines because she'd crafted them in that way yes. um in order for the especially the the kind of um i don't know she has a great kind of there's a great kind of sing-songiness about victoria wood's spoken lines and the way that they they take a great i don't know it's just a kind of com- a, a comedic flow um i think there's a sort and of also for relish, me it's, it's, isn't there? there's a it, relish in the words there, yeah indeed and the, and that the, the, there's a real there's a there's a relish there, but there's also um she she inherently knew how how a word would work in a sentence yes mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need a fast most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, and, and in the same with songs. Um, and for me, it's those, it's those where she would throw in a particular brand of something what that beat me on the bottom with a woman's weekly i mean there we go frieda and barry beat me on the it can't be anything else i mean i i would i would challenge anyone to find a better ladies magazine that would fit that gap and get us such a laugh it doesn't or um spirit smearing avocado on my lower portions (laughs) i mean it's just um 
a genius and and one of my greatest one of my greatest regrets is that i never got to to meet her or to yeah. work with her um i have lots of friends who have over the years um and actually a good friend of mine steve edis his wife was her pa for quite oh, a really? while so um so yeah we were kind of like one degree of separation away but i never had the i never had the 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 joy of meeting yeah. her but but by all accounts from everyone i've spoken to about her uh, said she was an, an amazing woman yeah certainly certainly the work speaks for itself really doesn't it um, oh, absolutely. That, that uh, I, I noticed you mentioned on on your um, uh, Cockney sing along yesterday mm. the Chemical Elements song. The... <laughs> yes. Well, again, it's it's, it's the it's the link between Tom Lehrer and uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. Mm. In that it used to be my it used to be my party piece. I haven't done it for years. Let me see whether I can remember well, you don't it. Because of course. Thing, um, but yeah. um, There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickelodium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, euthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthium, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, and protactinium, and idium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. It's amazing how it comes back. <laughs> yeah. <so laughs> Unfortunately, the piano part doesn't. <laughs> but uh, well, it's not easy music to play, is it? I mean, you know, the... it's it's a bit. Well, though, actually, it's in the original key is in E flat. Oh, right. when Tom Lira does it. He does it in C, so it's just a lot of the white keys. Oh, okay. So I have no excuses. Really. Oh, okay. Well, I was, uh, we, we'll edit that bit out. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the other song that I think is uh, almost perfection because it makes me laugh no matter how many times I hear it is the um, Ivan Novello one, um, and, and Mother Came Too. And and Mother Came Too again. I mean, Ivan Novello, a great, a, a great composer what a matinee idol as well a great performer great actor but he had a real a, a real legacy i mean I, I i again i would i would struggle to find someone of that era who wrote such beautiful um soaring melodies yes. he was a real kind of tunesmith i suppose i mean it sounds really cheap to say but uh, the kind of the kind of andrew lloyd webber of his of his mm. day um i mean Angelo Weber and I don't see eye to eye on a number of things, <laughs> but um, but but he knows how to write a melody. He does know yes, how to write a yeah. melody, and um, same with Ivan Novello. Things like um, "We'll gather lilacs in the spring again, and walk together down an English lane." I mean, uh, it just makes makes me swell even yeah. thinking about it. But the fact, but the, the fact he was so clever with that, as well as writing mm. things like. And mother came too. Which, which is just Again, a genius. A... Um, what I love about it is that uh, everyone knows what's coming, but the but the yes. deliveries uh, and and that and it has well, a great uh, punchline. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, uh, and also the verse as well that, that people don't might not know. Um, how's it go? Uh, they seem to be the victim of a cruel yes. jest. It dogs my footsteps with the girl I love the best. I mean, this is beautiful and lyrical. She means the too high for me. Sweetest thing that I had never known. But still we never get the chance to be alone. And then it becomes just as my car will meet her. And a mother comes too. It's a two-seater. Still a mother comes too. At zeros when I am free, at dinner, supper, or tea, she likes to shimmy with me, and a mother does too. <laughs> we buy her trousseau, and a mother comes too. 
Ask not to do so. Still a mother comes to. She simply can't take a snub. I go and sulk at the club. Then have a bath and a rub. And a brother comes to. <laughs> it's, it's joyous, it's, isn't it? And, it? and it's beautiful music as well, isn't it? It's just hot. It yeah. really is. Um, and the fact that, that he can go, I mean... It was perfect for the 1920s. Or was that 1921, mm. that yeah. one? That it, that it goes from that beautiful... Um, he knew, certainly knew how to write a yeah. melody, as I said. Um, and then into just that kind of jolly, kind of gentle foxtrot. Yes. Um, and just the way the lyrics just kind of skip over the top. Again, if we're talking about people who really kind of, of that era, I suppose, who really um, captured... Um, not only beautiful music, but also beautiful lyrics and funny lyrics. It was, of course, of course Noel Coward, yes. the, master, the master himself. I'm a great Noel Coward fan. Um, and he can go from from such poignant songs like uh, London Pride. London yes. Pride has been handed down to us. London Pride is a flower that's free. And some great emotive lyrics in that one. To, um, oh, what, oh, what, um, oh, um, what was I singing the other day? Um, um. They're out of sorts in Sunderland and terribly cross in Kent. They're dull in Hull and the Isle of Mull is seething with discontent. They're nervous in Northumberland and Devon is down the drain. They're filled with wrath on the Firth of Forth and sullen in Salisbury Plain. And what's the chorus? Uh, oh, I can't remember the chorus now. <laughs> Uh, hurrah, hurrah, hooray, Misery, misery's here to stay There are bad, bad times just around the corner And the outlook's absolutely vile There are dark clouds over the dullish cliffs of Dover And the rats are preparing to leave the BBC And there's a great line in that about um, We're going to unpack our troubles from our old kit bag <laughs> yes. It's just glorious, yes, which is, absolutely which is just glorious just a little musical quote as well, isn't it? So it's... Oh, there's so many of those little things like that. Um, certainly, that 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 Noel would do. Um, I was t- chatting to someone the other day about um, um, down at the old Bull and Bush. Mm. Um, come, come, come and make eyes at me down at the old Bull and Bush. Da 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 da. Which um, in the middle has the um, uh, hear the little German band. Da 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 da. Yeah. Which is a little quote of Odi Lieber Augustin, this um, Bavarian kind of drinking oh, song. So yeah, so a little quote of that, um, and yeah, I, uh, I, actually it was a couple of weeks ago on the live stream. I sang the the Oh, did Lieber Augustin. Uh, but then that also that sorry, I'm I'm, I'm oh, off no, on go, one now. Go. Now we've done that. Um, oh, oh, so oh, did Lieber Augustin, Augustin, Augustin. Oh, did Lieber Augustin, Alison, or something, whatever, whatever, the, whatever the words yeah. are there. Um, which is about um. In Vienna in the 1600s, it's about plague happening. Really? And Augustine, who is the who is the kind of local minstrel, the kind of he plays the accord. Oh, no, he plays the bagpipes. Yeah. That's it. He plays the bagpipes. Um, your local bagpipe, friendly bagpipe player. Um, and he does he fall ill or something? And, uh, but he he ends up oh he ends up falling into the plague pit. Um, and the only way that he gets out is by playing the bagpipes to a, to. Um, attract the attention of people that he's been put in the oh no he doesn't fall in people take him it's, it's a bit like spam a lot it's a bit like <laughs> um, i'm not dead yet where he gets taken to them put into the plague pit, but he's okay um and they get him out in the end and all oh, all the hilarity that ensues but there we go so there's that one and um, but also in the in the uk that tune is used as um um i remember as a scout 
Oh, you can't put your muck in our dustbin, our yes. dustbin, our dustbin. You can't put your muck in our dustbin, our dustbin's full. And then you can sing that as a simultaneous quote, Libet, with um, uh, there's one about fish and chips and fish and chips and vinegar and oh, yes. fish and pepper, 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 hot. And um, um, there's a bottle of pop, bottle of pop, bottle. So there's something about bottle of pop which like works as a as a little kind of counter melody underneath. <laughs> um, and oh, there's another one. Um, can't put your muck in our dustbin, our dustbin. Oh, come on. Um, oh, it will come back to me. But yeah, there's like four different versions of that that you you sing as as, as let's to bring it back to, as a simultaneous quote. Wow, about. that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was getting somewhere with that explanation. Yeah, but it's. Uh, I, I just think it's um, there's there is something about that marriage of of uh, music and words that. Uh, yeah, does something more for, with an audience that's that's sort of engaged and particip- participating. And um... actually, you're right. And 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 uh, as as exemplified by people like Victoria Wood and certainly Tom Lehrer in recordings that I've heard. Yes, they knowing knowing how to place a gag before a musical break and knowing how long that musical break is going to be. Yeah. Um. Or yeah, I mean, there's Victoria Wood things where. She will, she'll add, a, or in different recordings, she'll add an extra beat or an extra bar because of the audience laughter. Yes. She on a on a on a recording, she might just plough through, but on a live recording, in the same way, that, well, she she was a comedian, yeah. so the way that the way that comics um, ride the laugh, yeah. and you know you know exactly when to, if there's a break before the punchline, play the punchline, and then ride ride the laughter for the next line coming mm-hmm. in. It's a real, it's yeah. a real craft. It, it, again. it is a craft. Um, in the same way that Tom Lehrer does it. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and Tom Lehrer does it in Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. Yes. There's um, after the oh, what's the first gag? Um, I think actually it, um, it's the first mention of poisoning poisoning pigeons in the park. Um, it's, um, uh, or the world seems in tune after spring afternoon when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. And he just sits there for an extra bar yes. every sun, just because that's the, the, there's a ripple of yeah. laughter. That that first realization about what he's built up with with a beautiful verse, and the payoff of that first gag, um, it's about giving the audience time, which is tricky when you when you're doing a musical comedy um, act or a musical a, a, a funny song because, yeah, normally the songs would just kind of chug on and and but those well crafted ones as we found and we've talked yeah. about there. Um, give that space to, for the audience to laugh. Otherwise, because also if you if you plow on in the same way, if a comic was plowing on through gags and not giving the audience time to laugh, a it puts the audience on a back foot, and b they feel shortchanged. Yeah, it, because yeah, they haven't had that chance the to rhythm, laugh, doesn't it? There's a there's a sort yeah. of rhythm of, of of giving people space to laugh and allowing that to subside, and then picking it up again. Well, it was uh, interesting to see that, of course, back in the rehearsal room for for three men in a boat. There's so many little moments, mm. and actually, so much of the kind of physical physical comedy, I suppose, as well. Those little moments about where you created those moments where, where, yeah, it gives the, gives the audience the opportunity to laugh. It's not, it's not kind of telegraphing a yeah. laugh, but it gives the audience chance to laugh yeah. and, a, and a time to do it. Um, Cause otherwise you, yeah, as an audience, you feel kind of shortchanged. Yeah. And sometimes the more space you allow the audience, the funnier it gets. <laughs> Absolutely. But that, that, the, the classic thing about the, yeah, the leaving, leaving the gag, that extra, that extra little moment, leaving that awkward kind of pregnant yes. pause on yeah. stage just for that extra beat yeah. that actually sometimes can give you two laughs out of out of that yeah. moment it's yeah. uh it's, it's amazing and and again 
from a, from a craft point of view, that feeling that you can't, as much as you can create that or try and create that in a rehearsal room, actually, it's until you, it's only when you speak those mm. words on stage in front of an audience, do that does it actually come alive? And also that then you can, um, depending on the audience, I suppose, you you mould that and you you change that. I mean, I remember um, in my days as a musical director, so after university, I ended up as a keyboard player and a musical director on theatre yeah. shows, um, which was great fun touring the UK. I played every every number one touring venue. Um, some of them a couple of times, and I played some some of the B and C and D and Z venues <laughs> as well. I played some some absolute um, dives in my time. But in doing that, in playing a show, the same show, for example, I mean, I did Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat as my kind of first job, um, and I did that for a year. Um, and as musical director, six months of that. Wow. So it was um, 12 shows a week in, in a week in every venue. But even within that, there were moments in the show where, for example, at the end of Close Every Door yeah. to Me, a beautiful, soaring song. And you, you as, a, as a musical director, it's your choice about when you bring the downbeat in for the next song. Okay, yeah. Do yeah. You, so you, yeah, depending on, on the reaction from the audience you can give that little extra moment before the next chord comes in mm. while Joseph's in the prison cell. And it, you can really, through that, you can mould and manipulate the audience. There's a real emotion, um, isn't there, in that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also, the way that singers do it too, I suppose, if, if, if a moment really is, is, is flying or singing in a particular performance, having that little extra moment on that high note yeah. or having that slightly longer... Um, I always love those moments. Uh, I mean, Les Mis is a, is a perfect example with kind of outros. Once someone stopped singing, that moment before the audience applaud, mm. those. So sometimes the the note might carry on and continue right to the end, and the mus the the orchestra and the vocal come off exactly together, and that's a powerful yeah. thing. But also, if the if the vocal stops and the orchestra keep playing, because the orchestra keep playing, you haven't given the audience permission to yeah. clap yet. So you can, there's a certain amount of kind of playing with that. And, and I, I, I don't use the word milking. It's not about milking it, but it's about being creative in that moment and playing the show for almost as if it's for the first time also and afresh for that audience. Yeah. That it's not, it's not like, yes, when you're working on a major musical, yes, it is like working in a box factory <laughs> that you're creating the same box every show. Um, must be the same for for productions that you've worked on. What if you do for well, especially for Edinburgh, I suppose, yeah. where yeah, it's the same yeah. show day in, day in day out for for a month yeah. and a bit. Um, whereas and uh, and again on on, but it's within that it's finding those moments within within the structure of a show within the structure of um, a musical where you can have that ability to to play with the ebb and flow and uh yeah create something that's that feels fresh and new rather than a kind of hackneyed old um wednesday matinee when everyone's just just yeah, yeah. lost the will to live yeah. <laughs> lost the will to live I, I i imagine i can only imagine that the working on a big musical is is much more uh i don't know military in terms of you know what you have to deliver i, I think uh, military is a good military is a good term for it actually um yeah, because there's a, because there's a hierarchy, um, and the, and equally, you're 
again, as we were talking earlier on about preserving the text mm. or preserving the the composer or the lyricist's intentions, in the same way, especially on a on touring productions which I worked on, which were nine times out of ten um, uh, revivals of already existing productions. Yeah. So the Joseph tour had already been running for years. And when I did the Sound of Music tour, that was the production that came out of the Palladium. So it was it had already been created. That version had already been created by Jeremy Sams, for example, for the Palladium. Um, and so that was the way that it was done on tour. All of the kind of um, backstory for all the characters, all of the um, research and all the kind of um, emotional kind of backstory that the, the characters um, would, would, or the actors would, would discuss in rehearsals and things is all, is all, and, and movements and blocking yeah. and the reasons why someone's coming from a certain side of the stage it was all down to, in that original rehearsal room with Jeremy Sams, mm. um, creating that production. Um, whereas, um, and, and then when you're on tour, it's up to you to recreate that. Um, and so there, there is a certain kind of, uh, as I said, the kind of box factory feel, yeah. or as you say, in the, mili- the military thing where there's a hierarchy. It's like, um, as an assistant MD, for example, if I was conducting the show, I couldn't change anything. I had to do it the way that the musical director would do it yeah in the same way that the musical director was reproducing the way that the musical supervisor had intended it to be played or the tempo or the um or the the cutoffs and, and the, the way the way it was shaped yeah so yeah unfortunately on those kind of bigger shows it is um there it's hard to find those little moments that you can kind of play with it which is why i enjoy i do enjoy creating um creating projects and material on a much smaller scale yeah. and having that ability to be in the rehearsal room and work on things and and create things it's a it's a great great fun to do well i suppose that that's why the the the, uh, the piano entertainer you mentioned earlier has such a, a, an enormous kind of power really because it's not just uh, it's not a stand-up uh, comedian it's yep. it's with with all that kind of emotional um, those emotional levers as well uh, literally at their fingers um it's um it's it's great fun especially when i'm playing in a playing in a in a in a pub gig or or, or be that or, or an old people's kind of single or kind of um, a residential care home mm. or or a community group and um, it's about it, it i kind of liken it a bit to being like a um maybe not a stand-up because i'm not i'm not kind of funny in it but it but i i have to read the room yeah. um and i could just go in and sing my standard set list of songs but that does that does no service to the people that are coming then if, if it's an older crowd i'll focus on songs that they'll they'll perhaps remember more um or tell stories or reminisce about the performers of those yeah. songs that they might remember from the 40s and the 50s or the 60s even um but yeah w- the ability as a performer um as any performer i suppose to be able to 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 take an audience on a journey i always find that as an exciting exciting and quite daunting thing to be to to have because it's up to me to craft an evening to to um hopefully provide some enjoyment hopefully to provide some education hopefully to provide some nostalgic memories um and yeah so I always, I always love, and actually, it's one thing I've kind of become a bit more confident with over the last, well, since since starting the kind of singing about six years ago, um, in that I could go and play a, what whatever whatever the room's like, whoever whoever they're there, I can I can play a set list of songs that will will tap into them, yeah. and actually, quite a lot of that is, while I'm playing something, I'm like a I'm like a, um, 
like a swan, that thing, looking graceful <laughs> on the top, but every, all, the, all the cogs are going on in my brain. As soon as I start, I mean, even if I'm playing a, in a pub gig in London, I'll start perhaps with my usual, with my usual kind of, maybe it's because I'm a mm. Londoner and Daisy Daisy and I'm forever blowing bubbles. But while I'm playing that, I am scanning the room. Right. I'm, see, I'm seeing who's singing along. I'm seeing what kind of groups are going on, whether it's parties, whether it's birthdays, whether it's a family group, whether it's different ages, um, different nationalities, of course. If I'm playing in London, often I get people coming from all over the yeah. world um, who've seen my stuff on YouTube or through, through, um, through other collaborations I've done on YouTube. So they come and say, oh, we, we, wanted to, we wanted to hunt you down and see you because we were, we were coming over and we saw you on Jules Guides, a friend of mine who has a, a YouTube channel with oh, little yeah. things to do in London, he, a few things that, that, that I've done with him. Um, and so they come from all over the world. Um, so equally, they might not know the stuff that we consider as kind of sing-along classics. Yeah. So um, it's also about tagging into that. So I might sing a song that's appropriate to where they come from or that they might know. I mean, the, the surefire hit that everybody knows, irrespective of where they come from in the world, not only is Bohemian Rhapsody, um, <laughs> is also y- You Are My Sunshine. Uh, you are my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy when skies are gray a 1940s cowboy song from the states but everybody knows it it's one of those ones that's just kind of gone into common parlance so i suppose it helps that the the tune for the verse and the chorus are identical so there's only one thing there's only one thing to learn (laughs) and so if you've got the lyrics for the chorus or the verse you can sing them along and you know it um, but yeah, it's funny that everybody, everybody seems to know that, yeah. but I love, but yeah, playing to a room like that and being able to take requests or to, or to sing something that I think is going to capture, I mean, the toughest crowds, the toughest crowds of, of post work drinkers, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're like. If I sing Mary Poppins, everybody sings. Really? Um, yeah, there's some even even the kind of the kind of staunch kind of suited and booted um, kind of city types who who might be out for a works do. Um, they all know. Let's go fly a kite. Believe me, wow. that's great. <laughs> it's funny, but but that, but I suppose that taps into a kind of a childhood nostalgia for for people of a certain age. Um, or equally, it, it's a nostalgia of, of watching that film with children yeah. or grandchildren yeah. as well. So. Um, I mean, it makes me wonder in hundred years' time what other songs we're going to be singing. Well, that, will we be singing? Yeah, the Spice Girls. Tell me know. what you want, I, what you well, really, really want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, well, I don't I t- know. I what I don't I've know. noticed. Uh, I've certainly noticed that Beatles songs are in that position now. You know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I don't know what the I don't know what the sort of next turn will be. Yeah, maybe. I think there's, there's, I don't know. I, in my kind of research and in just gigging, in 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 trying to encourage people to sing along, there is a kind of cutoff in for for kind of well-known songs that everybody seems to know mm. in the kind of late seventies, early eighties. So you get things. I think Queen is probably the last, are the last kind of bastions of sing-along classics. Yeah. Um. Uh, so Queen, uh, the Beatles, of course, um, Abba. Everybody knows oh, course, yeah. Dancing Queen or Mamma Mia. Um, and again, I suppose also for the fact that even a younger generation knows that through um, Mamma Mia, the musical and the film. Mm. So those songs. And again, it's those, those kind of songs, Queen too, that I remember. Actually, I remember both ABBA and Queen being introduced to from my parents. We, it wasn't a musical, particularly musical kind of singing household. Yeah. But we'd often have music on in the car. So be that uh, 
the Bee Gees or Queen's Greatest Hits or 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 ABBA or um, Cl- my mum was a big Cliff Richard fan, so uh, all the kind of Cliff Richard stuff as well. Yeah. But it's funny that those songs are the ones. Yeah, the, the the Beatles and Queen and ABBA are, I suppose, I, d- I don't want to say the last kind of, the last sing-along hits, because I'm sure there's stuff n- more modern that, I mean, Baby Shark, yeah. does that count as something more modern that everybody knows? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, th- I um, think people, people sing along to Wonderwall, don't they? Um, yeah, and actually, uh, again, uh, people of a certain generation um, remembering songs from their kind of teenage years. Yeah. So kind of blur oasis, yeah. all that kind of stuff that I that that I was never I was never a great fan, but I do remember. Um yes, despite me sounding like I'm eighty. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm the, well, I thirty eight. Though I though I'm I missed I missed yeah, that kind of that kind of poppy generation thing. I was never really my bag. I was I was in a music room at school playing show yeah. tunes, I'm afraid. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose uh, the, the the logical question is is uh, where where are the sort of uh, the clever lyricist now? You know, um, and, and the only one I can think of at the moment is Tim Minchin. Indeed, uh, absolutely. Again, another a great exponent of comedy at the keyboard. Yeah. Um, a real. I mean, some of his stuff isn't a gift, and uh, and obviously his musicals too. I am yet to see uh, Boy in the Dress. That's his, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes, um, I believe it is. Yes. Um, but uh, but I've seen Matilda and I know the score for Matilda well, and that's I mean it's yeah. glorious. It's it's again um, and again just just to see him live with um, or, or or on TV with um, just the yeah. piano and himself. I mean again a real kind of there's that real legacy of comedy at keyboard. Yeah. So going back, I mean even before Flanders and Swan, I mean I love in the 1920s and 30s there was a comedy duo called the Two Leslies. Yes. Leslie Holmes and Leslie Cerrone, um, and actually they gave us all those kind of songs that um, things like Susanna's uh, "The Old Sow." Uh, there, um, there wasn't a farmer had no sow. Idly down, Susanna's a wonderful man, and 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 idly down. Or, uh, um, I lift up my finger and I say, "Tweet, tweet, shush, shush." Now, now, come, come. I mean, they don't write them like that anymore. <laughs> But um, but yeah, they kind of popularised those, and then I suppose Flans and Swan, and also a, a duo called Flotsam and Jetsam, kind of similar time to Flans and Swan. Um, but then of course, I mean, actually, uh, nowadays in comedy writing as well, uh, fascinating Aida, of course, yeah. um, for a kind of female take on it. Yeah. Um, uh, big fan of fascinating fascinating Aida, um, and they've got some, yeah. They've been doing some great stuff recently, actually. And actually, a good friend of mine, Michael Ralston, is their um, regular pianist now, and musical oh, okay. director. So although, although Dilly Keane plays a number of the songs herself, Michael also plays with them. Right. And uh, he's fantastic. Actually, he's a great, he's a great um, comedy song composer and lyricist. He and his writing partner, Sarah Louise Young, as mm. well. Um, they write great um, modern kind of cabaret comedy songs as well so if um, if anyone's interested in in kind of modern cabaret comedy then yes michael ralston and sarah louise young definitely worth a yeah. look um because uh, again writing about things that we all deal with there's a great song on their latest album about um uh the, like a national trust gift shop <laughs> let's let's all go into the gift shop to find to find something of delight uh, as beautiful lyric set to a kind of like marchy oh, tune cool, it's wonderful yeah. um and also um the disappointing sandwich <laughs> about when you go to a go to a petrol station and, and all you can find to find to buy is the disappointing sandwich <laughs> it's a kind of an uh, analogy for life i suppose but yeah so so comedy at the keyboard is continuing yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and and it, and it follows on in a, in that kind of grand tradition, yeah. I suppose. Well, I'm I'm guessing from uh, everything we talked about that uh, you're desperate to get back to live performing. Oh, I can't tell you how much I am. I mean, if if yeah, if if the virus would just disappear overnight, I would be straight back to pushing that piano yeah. out. As much as I hate pushing the piano out the van and getting it back in and pushing i, I don't dread to think how heavy it is as well i'm gonna get a hernia one of these days but no i would i would love to because of course what i do is r- relies on audience interaction yeah. um though having said that i've been really kind of blown away with the reaction that the the online sing-along yes has had. thousands um, of i mean who, thousands and thousands of people. who would who would have ever thought that a sing-along sung alone would it's work <laughs> but but I think that's the thing. But people are singing along and joining in at home. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I'll produce song song books that people can can download each week. And there'll be songs in there that that they'll know. And there might be some songs that I'll do that people might not know. But but um, yeah, just kind of silly little songs like the Leslie Cerrone songs or yeah. or. Um, what was it, Leslie Cerrone song I did the other week? 47 ginger-headed sailors. <laughs> 47, 47 ginger-headed sailors coming home across the briny sea. Um, <laughs> in which I first heard back in the, probably been the late 90s. It, it, was, it made an appearance in Jeeves and Worcester, oh, right. the TV yeah, programme yeah. with Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. Because there's some lovely moments in that where Hugh Laurie sits at the piano and, and plonks away. Yeah. And... Uh, Jeeves looks disapprovingly and uh, comments comments on the on the the, uh, the songs of the day. Um, yeah, forty seven ginger headed sailors. I mean, yeah, a few people. Someone requested it a few weeks ago, and I did it. Yeah. Um, and then someone someone dropped me a line saying, "Oh my god, I didn't realize that was a real song. I thought my nan made it up." Oh yes. Yeah. Um, so it's it's fascinating how. Well, the same with things like um, My Baby Has Gone Down the Plug Hole. Do you know that? Yes, yeah. yeah. My baby has gone down the plug. Oh, so your, your baby has gone down the plug. The poor little thing was so skinny and thin. It should have been bathed in a jug, in a jug. Your baby is ever so happy. He won't need a bath anymore. Your baby has gone down the plug hole. Not lost, but gone before. <laughs> that was written, uh, it's a traditional song. Um, it's a it's a musical song from the from the mid 1800s though the origins of it are unknown and there's no lyricist attributed to it it was released in the 1960s by a band called cream i think really? um, and became a hit then and so again people many people know that song from the 1960s yeah. um, but equally an older generation would, rem- would remember it from it's the kind of pub sing-along songs yeah, that yeah. that have been passed on um, and that would have been again n- not written down but you'd go hear something in the pub one Friday night, someone would be playing something on the piano, you might get the sheet music, or equally you just you would hear it in the pub every week, so you'd you'd gradually learn the words and pass yeah. it on. That, and that's there's a there's a real uh kind of I don't know, uh, uh unknown or undiscovered kind of tradition of, of this that that's that you seem to be preserving at least with you know, as I say, tens of thousands of people watching it on Facebook. Um I'm sure that there are lots of I younger hope, people as I well so. listening to it as well. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. When I play um, at Wilton's Music Hall, um, which is the oldest grand surviving music hall in the world mm. um, in East London, in Limehouse, um, just off Cable Street, a beautiful, beautiful venue. Um, and when I play there, I could be playing to 
um, youngest, I mean, like teenagers or, or even younger. We've had, we've had um, kind of school kids yeah. in um, through to people in their 80s and 90s. Um, and it's funny that so many of these songs we all have a collective frame yeah, of reference yeah. for. So things like, um, again, I'm Henry VIII, I yes. Am, originally written in 1911, Harry Champion. It's a great song. But so a lot of people would know that, especially kind of Cockney families or London families, because it's just a kind of sing-along mm. song. But of course, it, it appears in is it Ghost, the film. Oh, does it? Um, yeah, I think Patrick Swayze sings it at some point. So it's one of those songs that's kind of in common parlance, in kind of common yeah. knowledge. And, and of course, it was it was released by Herman's Hermits in the course, 1960s. Yeah. Um, as a, as a, and of course, they only recorded the ver- they only recorded the chorus. I'm Henry the Eighth, I am Henry the Eighth, I am, I am. Um, and they released it, and it went to the top of the Billboard charts in the states. Um, so again, like people in America know, I'm Henry the Eighth, I am from the chorus, but they've never heard the verse before. Um, so it's funny just how these songs kind of get rediscovered over mm-hmm. time. Things like Daisy Daisy as well being. Um, it's 2001 the space odyssey isn't it where Hal the computer as it's breaking down at the end that's what it sings i mean actually it was that that was inspired by the fact that daisy bell was the first let me get this right was the first song to be sung by a synthesized computer voice back in the would have been the 80s i think um it was the first song to be to use a kind of vocal processor that created the kind of which inspired Stanley Kubrick yeah. to put it in the film. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that these songs still live on. Um, and yeah, as we said earlier on, who knows in a hundred years, will these still be the songs we're singing? I think the answer is probably some yes. Of them certainly, some, certainly. Yeah. Because, yeah. because the, maybe, maybe, maybe not the, the un-PC ones. No, but it's quite fun to discover those again, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my word. There are plenty of them and plenty of them that should most definitely stay on a yeah. shelf or in the archives and never, never yeah. be. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a different world now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even, even something like, um, I, I sang last night and didn't think about it at all. It's a World War I song, Katie. And... But it's but it's written about a, a, a speech impediment. It's written about someone stammering. I thought originally um, it was uh, just someone being nervous because Katie, beautiful Katie, you're the only girl that I adore. He's nervous. But no, if you look at the original sheet music, it's the stammering sensation. And I was like, it's yeah. And actually, if you listen to the original record, one of the original recordings of it as well, I can't remember who did it. Um, but he was kind of famed for his kind of stammering imitation. Um, and I have to say that recording's pretty offensive if you listen to it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe maybe some of these songs, yeah, need, need to just kind of quietly, quietly fizzle into, or as I said, again, it's, I suppose it's a bit like um, the whole kind of thing about erasing history, mm. I suppose, and, and a conversation that's going on at the yeah. moment. That actually I'm a firm believer that we shouldn't erase stuff that we should that that things should be i mean the same same goes for all the kind of minstrel songs and there was a real kind of popular tradition at the turn of the century or the late 1800s and early 1900s for um kind of minstrel um british kind of musical performers playing blackface basically Mm -hmm. and that kind of uh, and emulating those um, african minstrel acts that toured over into the uk um in the 1800s and the 1850s and 60s so it, they were just kind of echoing yeah, that and shadowing yeah. that 
Um, but yeah, there's so much of that material and stuff that is in common knowledge. Things like um, She's My Lady Love, Lily of Laguna. She's my lady yeah. love. She is my dove, my baby love. Sung by Eugene Stratton, who was a blackface minstrel. Um, and yeah, I, I can't, I can't. Yeah, I, I, we we must be aware that that went on and how that it came out of that time. But I certainly think, yeah, that we shouldn't be glorifying any no. of that or 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 we, we we can't we can't erase it no, I, but equally i think there's i think there's there's stuff that, that that should kind of quietly just sit at the back and yeah and uh be there for well, i, be I, there I for don't history. think anyone wants to kind of uh delete them but uh you have to um yes you have to use them or refer to them sensitively don't you because yeah, yeah. i mean I, I, even even going back to flanders and swan even that uh have some madeira i thought um it's slightly dodgy um i suppose yeah yeah um kind of um yeah um, getting getting a young young girl drunk yes. and um having having your wicked way i suppose yeah. yeah indeed i mean so many of these songs were were quite near the knuckle i mean again talking about songs about the the whole innuendo mm. thing um and especially especially in the musical songs and especially at the end of the 1800s the real kind of the mari lloyd stuff that we remember things like and um, i mean there's the apocryphal story which i'm afraid is not true that there is a song that she sang called she sits amongst the cabbages and yes. peas <laughs> and that the lord chamberlain said um basically banned it because it was too offensive and so she changed the lyrics to she sits amongst the cauliflowers and leeks <laughs> Um, but unfortunately, unfortunately, as much as I've heard that story being recounted many, many, many times, um, as far as I'm aware, um, and as far as my friends at the British Music Hall Society uh, are aware, um, it never existed. It's just a story. <laughs> but but things like um, a little of what you fancy does you good, yes, yeah. or um, she'd never had a ticket punched before, um, all those kind of, or, or with me little wigger wagger in my hand, um, a, dan- a kind of dandy song. Yeah. Um, from the from the turn of the century, with a little wigger wagger in my hand. I mean, again, they don't write them like they used to, and they're certainly or, or even in the nineteen fifties. Um, oh, what a beauty! The Marrow yes. song. I've never seen one as big as that before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, some of them are innuendo, and some of them are most definitely outuendo. Yes. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like there's there's no yeah there's there's definitely. I, I suppose then again, you get things like George Formby yes. with a little stick of Blackpool of rock. Yeah, yeah understandably banned by the bbc mm. yeah if you... um, along also with i i, I won't I won't mention the the name of the song but one that i performed last night a, a harry roy song yes about a about about a cat yes, which, which, um, which was which uh, if people want to have a look for Har- harry roy my girls um yeah. yes uh it's 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 there you can find it it was a legitimate song from the, the 1920s champagne charlie um, and the bubbly boys yes indeed yes. indeed my good friend yeah. champagne charlie yes a, a, a great chum and uh, yeah one of our one of our favorites to play together it's um great kind of tongue-in-cheek innuendo but uh, i would hazard a guess to say that even back then it was it was the the the, the innuendo was uh, was yes well well known enough to uh well obviously it was banned by yeah. the bbc it was it was a uh, blatant enough to uh to raise I think their there's eyebrows. a whole other show in in those kind of songs, isn't there? I mean, uh, I know we talked about the, uh, the the possibility of a of an Edinburgh show with with some of those uh, those kind of uh, songs and some of the songs that were, um, I suppose, they'd now be uh, LGBT. Indeed, yeah. Especially um, those those the kind of songs that, that Champagne Charlie, for example, um, mm. specialises in. He has a great um, a great love of yeah all those kind of. Um, 
kind of rebellion songs yeah. and and uh, from from the Weimar Republic from the nineteen thirties. So kind of in the run up to the Second World War, the kind of um, the the underground cabaret scene, I mm. suppose, in in Germany. Yeah, and which I suppose is is kind of iconic. I suppose that we we recognise the images from something like Cabaret, the 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 movie with um, Joel Grey and. Uh, Liza Minnelli, but yeah, the, very much that kind of Weimar mm. um, and the real kind of resistance in in song. Um, uh, Charlie does a great version of the Lavender Song, um, which I urge anyone who's interested in that kind of music to have a look at. A great kind of Patrick, um, not Patrick, a great kind of um, stirring anthem for for LGBT uh, rights mm. and um, and being accepted in as as who you are be that be that whoever and however you are yeah. um it's a it's a great song the Lav- the lavender song highly recommended yeah so it just reminded me of um uh mad about the boy as well going back to noel coward of course of course yeah yeah, yeah which which um which i think the gr- the greatest greatest version of that that i've ever heard are male versions mm. it's um it's uh actually dusty limits good friend of mine dusty limits another cabaret performer does it really and yeah. uh it's it's beautiful and what's again and um, even all the kind of underlying um homosexual kind of subtones especially in things like cole porter's work mm. uh cole porter who was um of course back in back in the day his sexuality was hidden he was married uh to linda lee porter it was all kind of um kind of glossed over as it were yeah. um but um, but things like what was it? um a love for sale yes. um a beautiful song um, and I think the story goes that he wrote it about a male prostitute, not a female right. prostitute. So, so, um, but, but then again, it's been covered many times over the years. Um, and other things, I, I, I love the, I love the version of um, Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered mm. that they do in uh, the History Boys. Oh, yes. Um, when is it Posner sings it? Um, he's a fallen, don't I know it? Um, um, I'll sing to him each spring to him and long for the trousers that cling to him. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not sure whether those are original, original, um, uh, an original version, but, but it's beautiful it and, yeah. and a great, uh, a great version of that. Again, highlighting the fact that these songs um, that we, I suppose I make a living from singing the choruses because that's what people know. Mm. Um, and I introduce where I can the, the lyrics and the verses for these songs, because there is, they've got stories to yeah. tell alongside things like My Old Man Said Follow the Van, which sounds like a jolly chorus, but it's about a midnight flit in the middle yeah. of the night to pack, to pack up all your belongings on the cart because you can't afford to pay the rent. The family put everything on the cart, drive it away. She's had too many to drink. She can't find a way to a new address. So we all know the chorus, but we don't necessarily know the story behind the verse. Right. Um, same with all those beautiful Tim Pan Alley songs from the 20s and 30s, those um, songs... Um, like Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered. Um, she's a fool and don't I know it, but a fool can have her charms. I'm in love and don't I know it, like a babe in arms. Beautiful, beautiful verses yeah. that, that, very, that when those songs were covered in the 40s and 50s by the kind of Rat Pack singers and, um, and, and even kind of Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald and things, often those verses aren't done. It's just all about the chorus. And it's a real it shame, a shame because yeah. there's... There are beautiful verses, and again, talking about the craft of of creating a, a song and a and a lyric that pays off. There are so many of those lyrics that have a great payoff in the chorus. Um, even things like I, I was singing only the other week, 
um, Bluebirds Over the White Cliffs of Dover and We'll Meet Again, two great Virilin classics. Mm. Um, in tribute to, to Virilin, who, who we lost uh, last week, 103, what a great what yeah. a great innings and what a great legacy of the songs that she left. Yeah. But those have got great verses that nobody ever sings. Um, uh, let's smile, dear, for a while, dear, we must part. Don't let the parting upset you. I'll not forget you, sweetheart. We'll meet again, Donna. Like eight bars. Mm. But it's a beautiful, beautiful little, and it adds so much extra colour to the song, which often can be lost if those verses aren't sung. Yeah. So, now I'm a firm believer if you can, if you can, if you can uh, share the chorus with, and uh, share the verse, sorry, um, as well. It's a, uh, it just adds to the, uh, again, more than the sum of the parts. Yeah. It's a real, a real bonus to a song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I, I was just going to. Uh, Come back to the the quadlibet or quadlibet, <laughs> indeed. Um, because there was one that was that was uh, in my mind as you were saying that, uh, and it's the um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think who who wrote it. You're just in love, you know the one. Uh, oh no! Yes, I hear singing and there's no one there. Oh, okay, yeah, like Irving Berlin, isn't it? Yeah. Irving Berlin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's it from? I can't remember now. Uh, after Google yeah. it, uh, but anyway, it's famously sung by Ethel Merman and someone, and uh, that was just a yes. counter melodies. And it, yes, and a counter melody, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, unlike two songs which fit together, it's it's, yeah. it's that the same way. There's a, there's a great one in the musical version of Thoroughly Modern Millie, um, where yeah, um, to the two leading ladies sing sing a beautiful duet, and they they actually Irving Berlin also did. Um, Oh, um, Annie, get mm-hmm. your gun. Oh, yeah, maybe it's and, that, yeah. um No, there's... Um, um, I want an old-fashioned wedding Made in a good old-fashioned way And then Annie sings... I want to do a big church So again, a, a simultaneous mm. quote debate, those two melodies that work independently as separate entities yeah, i yeah. suppose but put them together and i mean I, I suppose the kids nowadays would call it a mashup <laughs> yes is that what yes, it is or am i am i am i a few am i a few years out of no, date no, I think um right. yeah you call it a mashup yeah. but, um, um those but uh, yeah it's it's amazing but there are so many i've just looked I it urge up. listeners it's, it's to actually keep it's from call me madam oh go on ah there we go yeah. of course yeah. of course anyway yes. yeah ethel ethel merman what a what a voice <laughs> yeah. um but yeah, those kind of mashups, and actually, it, it's a common thing to be used in. I'm, I'm not down with the kids, as it were, <laughs> but in kind of modern music and modern um, uh, kind of DJing and editing stuff together yeah. as well. That finding those moments, those musical moments that fit together. Um, I mean, certainly a few years ago, Glee were doing it. The TV program with Glee yeah. were all over it, um, and that kind of legacy of of. And actually, a lot of a lot of um, um, uh, kind of choirs and choral societies, especially in the American thing, the kind of um, a cappella groups as well, do it a lot. Where they where you you find similarities between songs and mash them all together. Yeah. It's um, it's a, a clever little device, um, and probably comes up more often than people people would assume. Yeah. But it's a fun one, and thank you for introducing me to it. Um, oh, the, pleasure! You can ha- you can have that one for you. free. <laughs> the other <laughs> meaning of it is a topic for or exercise in philosophical discussion 
Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Oh, thank you for that, Phil. So it's the perfect word for, for what we've been doing. I think we've got to do it again because there's, there's oh, so much to talk about. And um, <laughs> We could talk for hours. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. No, I've, I've hardly had to do anything. <laughs> but it's fascinating. And I, I, really, uh, I, do, I really do want us to get back to uh, live performance very, very, very quickly. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, I'm, I'm uh, having seen the the roadmap put out by the the, the stunning. Uh, st- stunningly stunningly grey yeah, really yeah. um and no idea of timescales i mean i suppose my problem with with gigging for me is the fact that i will be in that lot well i was i will probably be in i think it was like stage five i will be in stage six yeah. because stage five is audiences coming together to watch a show without social distancing Whereas for me, it will be people in an audience singing into each other's faces, yeah. which I think at the moment, or certainly while the virus is around, is kind of highly dangerous. Yeah, it's really tough, isn't so, it? So, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, who knows? I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to kind of pivot over this time. Um, it was interesting to to hear Ian on, on yeah. the last podcast and, and you were talking about the kind of creativity in the lockdown. Mm. It's, I found it really hard to find the motivation yeah. and find no, the time. I I've been. With with kind of family family things, I've got an eight year old son who I've been helping through his home yeah. learning. So that's kind of eaten up a lot of time. And then equally, I suppose just just in not not being my usual busy kind of gigging self, I'm just struggling to find that motivation to be creative. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to hopefully finding some more time going forward because well yeah if i'm not if i'm not out gigging i've got to be doing something Well, we're gonna to have to write that show i was telling you about yeah. absolutely yeah. yes well when we can get back to a pub or maybe we'll out to outdoor pint a socially yeah. distanced um uh pint outdoors and have a chat yeah because uh, as long as you don't mind songs sounding like something no, else ab- that's perfect um, i think we've established that that's perfectly acceptable <laughs> There we go. As long as it sounds slight, it doesn't sound too much like Victoria Wood or Tom Lear. It will be okay. Absolutely. Brilliant, Tom. Thank you so much for your time. Um, My pleasure. Great to chat. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. So that was Tom Carradine. Uh, And what a pleasure speak to him what a, uh, a talented chap and uh, as you could tell from that hour and a bit that we spent together I, I didn't really get a, a word in edgeways but um, I, I love talking to Tom because he knows so much about music and he has such a, a love of the uh, of the performance and, and the entertainment value of, of music and songs um, so if you uh, would like to hear more from Tom you can join him for his sing-along on on Facebook just Search for uh, Caradine's Cockney Sing Along, uh, or you can look for Tom Caradine Pianist on uh, Facebook, or you can go and look at his website, Caradine's Cockney Sing Along, all one word, dot co dot uk. Uh, you can follow him on uh, Twitter at Tom Caradine, um, and uh, everything leads back to uh, his regular Thursday evening, which has become a bit of a cult following. Uh, during the uh, lockdown period into week 15 or something. Uh, but every week is uh, a, a great chance to just have a sing-along and uh, and have a shout-out to uh, to your friends and family while you sing some of these great songs that Tom knows like the back of his hand. 
So um, thanks for listening. Don't forget to look out for new episodes of Ideas in Writing produced with Mr Brooks Bookshop in Tunbridge. Uh, and I think it's entirely appropriate to play out with our real theme tune this week. So uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Phil Holden and uh, see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us. You just need to click on the link and become an Acast supporter. It's a one-off donation. You can give as much or as little as you like, and uh, there's no commitment. But it certainly helps us to keep producing these podcasts. So thank you very much.